Hello, everybody. Welcome once again to another fantastic episode of the Business Creators Radio Show. My name is Adam Homie. I am your host, and I am honored by your wise decision to tune in and invest in yourself today. As the name says, we're business creators. We have our entrepreneurs. We have our small business owners. We have our local business owners. We have the marketing and business coaches, consultants, and mentors. We have the folks who help others create their businesses, our business creators, and we have do-it-yourselfers who like to have your own hands on the levers. If you are one or more of the above, and in fact, many of our listeners who tune in every week, including myself, are all four of the above, please take a moment, explore episodes, and discover how we help you win at the game of business and marketing. Also, check us out on networks like iTunes. Every five-star rating, we're very grateful for our five-star ratings. And we look forward to those because they help us serve more business creators just like you. Also, be sure to subscribe to iTunes because you will get fresh content every single week and immediate access to our library of episodes going back over four years on a variety of topics related to business creators. We cover copywriting. We cover finance. We cover investments. We cover team building, we cover organizational development, we cover change management, we cover project management, we cover customer service, we cover team building. All the things you need to create your business, you will find it in the library of the Business Creators Radio Show. Today, we are going to add another topic to the library of Business Creators Radio Show, and this is something that I'm not sure if we've ever done it before. This is probably the first time we've done it, although I think we might have had one other episode on this topic, and it's about vending franchises. We are fans of the franchise model. Some people are down on it. We're very up on it. Here's the reason why. If you want to enter a market, particularly a market that already has a lot of players in it that may be nearing saturation, or you just are in a situation where you have a lot more time, you have a lot more money than time, and you want to accelerate your results using a proven model that's already been tested and shown to work, investing in a franchise can be a very powerful way to do that. Uh, you may make a minor trade in terms of your flexibility on what exactly you can do because a good franchise organization is going to have its own guidelines, rules, regulations, vendors, way of doing things, and what have you. But at the same time, that liberates you so that you can focus on creative marketing and what you can do to enter your own market and serve your customers from your intersection of brilliance and passion using that model that already works. So we're not down on franchises. We love franchises. So when I had the opportunity to have Matt Miller, who's an expert in franchises, come on the show today, I said, hell yes, book that man. Let's get started. So let me tell you a little bit about Matt. Uh, he is uh, He has a company called let me, let me see. Uh, let me see. I'm goofing this up a little bit. Here we go. Let me back up. Matt spent the first nine years of his career as an Air Force pilot before entering the private sector to work in both the medical device and advertising industries. While top performer in the corporate world, his long-term desire was to be his own boss, something that leads a lot of people to become business creators. A good friend one day mentioned the gumball machines he and his young daughters owned and that conversation began a 10-year business quest that has brought Matt's company, which is called School Spirit Vending, to the cutting edge of both the vending and the school fundraising industries. Today, 
Gold Spirit Vending's franchising program provides a proven and profitable business system for busy professionals and their families looking to develop secondary income streams with a limited time commitment. So, Matt, welcome aboard. Come on in. The weather's fine. Matt? Matt, if you're speaking, I can't hear you. Yeah, Adam, thanks for having me on. I'm excited to do this. Okay, great. Uh, so what I want to do now is I did read off a little bit of your background and your story and how, what's brought you from where you began to here, but tell us a little bit about, just in your own words, as our listeners are getting a chance to get to know you here, what passionately drove you down this path of being involved with vending and goal fundraising. Uh, what was it that really just made you say, heck yeah, I got to get involved in this and this is where I can serve the world from the intersection of my brilliance and passion? Well, I mean, isn't it obvious, Adam, to start with, you know, from Air Force pilot to ad executive to vending operator? I mean, doesn't that sound like the, the obvious progression? <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. Right. Um, man, uh, you know, it all came about because first off, I realized in my 13 years in the Air Force before my commitment was up to Uncle Sam that I really didn't like to be told what to do, and I thought uh -huh. the corporate world would would be better. So when my commitment was up, I jumped off into the corporate world, loved what I did, did very, very well at it, but quickly found out that uh, the stockholders of publicly traded companies are the priority, not the employees. And I found right. that the rules were constantly being changed, and oftentimes they weren't in my favor, <clears throat> to the point where we were in a major, major hole several years into my career um, because of some decisions that were made financially that impacted my family. And so at, at that point, I was struggling to figure out how to make ends meet. And I knew based on the comp plan that I had at the ad uh, advertising company that I was working for at the time, that there was no time any anytime soon I was going to be able to get out of that hole. So I, by out of necessity, had to become an entrepreneur or start doing something on the side. Initially, it was selling aluminum cans online. I then got into used book sales on Amazon back before selling on Amazon was cool. And I had my entire garage full of books and and that type of thing, and was selling 60, 70, 80 books a day out of my garage on Amazon. The challenge was that I bought into the whole concept of passive income that Robert Kiyosaki talks about in his book, Rich Dad, Poor Dad, and I couldn't afford the real estate side of things. I didn't even have my own house at the time, but the concept stuck with me, and then when a buddy of mine mentioned gumball machines and he and his young daughters starting a business, that's when the light bulb went off, and I was like, man, I, I, I can do that. It's going to take a lot of quarters for me to get out of the hole I'm in, but the beauty is I can keep my career going without having to choose and slowly put this vending business together on the side. Um, I did that for about a year and a half in, in local businesses around the Houston area where we lived at the time, and then 07 and 08 hit. The market crashed. Revenues plummeted in my business because people – um, weren't going out to the businesses that I had equipment in as frequently, and I was frustrated. And right around that time, I had four young kids come knocking on my door 
selling me stuff for the local school fundraiser. I didn't know any of the kids, so they were all going to strangers' houses, going door to door. And I was like, maybe I can work this vending thing into the schools, level off my risk as far as revenue, because that's where the kids are five days a week, nine months out of the year. And since I had been in print advertising, I knew enough to be dangerous as far as printing and design and all that. And I thought, well, we could do custom stickers for schools with their mascots and their colors and then play sticker machines in those schools. It'd be a passive fundraiser for the school, get some kids potentially off the street, and also uh, stabilize the revenue for me and my family. And, and that's where this whole thing came about. Um, and here we are today, quite a bit further along 10 years later. You know, that's, uh, I'm just thinking of a, a couple of things here. You know, you mentioned you sold on Amazon before it was coal. And I'm, it just popped in my mind. I saw this meme the other day of uh, Jeff Bezos, uh, the, the, the CEO, founder of Amazon. And it right. showed a picture of him from back in like 1999. And here was a guy, he had this, uh, he had this preppy haircut. And uh, he was a little hunched over in the shoulders. He was wearing a sweater vest, uh, standing in front of some building in Manhattan. And uh, he had this sort of this uh, tentative look on his face that says, hi, I'm Jeff. I sell books. And then to the right of it, you see him <laughs> strolling down the sidewalk in a suburban community. He's got his, uh, he's got his, uh, his quilt vest on, his shaved head and his sunglasses. And he says, hi, I'm Mr. Bezos. I sell whatever the F I want. So uh, we've come a long we've come a long way with Amazon. That just popped into my mind when I when I thought of that. And then uh, the other thing is, uh, you know, it, it's interesting. Or we're talking about uh, you know vending inside, uh, you know, for for school fundraisers. Because when I was in uh, in in secondary school or high school or prison or whatever the hell you want to call it, um, I didn't have school spirit. So what I ended up doing was uh, buying myself a three month supply of M and M's, which leads to my point. And this is where I find your model very interesting is everybody's selling the chocolate bars and the M&Ms. And I, what I'm hearing is, from, especially from a lot of parents, that they love the idea of school fundraisers. They think it's great that the school is building up a chest to pay for the proms and the dances and building up a little treasury for the class going into the future to help fund reunions and things like that. That's awesome. But can we do something a little more innovative? And uh, what I get a sense of, and tell me if I'm right or if I'm wrong, this is something your company does, is it shows some innovative ways to do fundraising using some franchise models and use something, using some of those existing materials that are already commonly available for school fundraisers. Yeah, definitely. Most everybody's school in America is short on money and they're short on volunteers. And our program helps them with both, and we literally do all the work. They just cash a check each month. So it ends up being a win-win-win scenario for all those involved. The schools raise money. Our franchisees are, have, have the ability to, to make money in a, in a more passive fashion that they don't have to choose between their career and, and our franchise to do it. Right. And then, of course, since we've developed the model and the support system and structure behind it all, we get a little piece as in the form of a royalty from every single sale um, as well. So, um, you know, win, win, win all around. And, um, you know, we, we've grown very, very quickly because of that. 
Right. So you mean the kids don't have to go to compete with each other to sell the same candy bars to the same people on the same street anymore? Is that what you're saying? Well, yeah. And, and in today's day and age, it's not just one fundraiser because, you know, the athletic team has a fundraiser, but then, you know, the sixth grade class has a fundraiser, then the school uh-huh. has a fundraiser. And so moms and dads are constantly under pressure, you know, and constantly being hit up for something. Yeah, that's why I said when I was required to do it, I just said the hell with it. I got 50 bucks. I like M&Ms. Here you go. Done. <laughs> so, but, uh, right. but I can imagine I can imagine those people on, on the street and in the neighborhoods, uh, they have the five different booster clubs, the four athletic clubs, the class of 2017, the class of 2018, and then the class of 2019, all raising their money for their junior and senior proms and every other thing under the sun. So tell us a little bit more about how your model works and how, just so that our listeners can truly understand it, because a lot of our listeners, in addition to being business creators, are parents of students who are actively involved in school and do fundraisers. How is this truly a better deal, and how have you created this model that it's actually passive? We don't have to go sell candy bars anymore. Well, first off, um a, a lot of our world, believe it or not, is actually with the younger kids. I started the company with the with like high school football teams and and uh, you know basketball teams and all that stuff in mind. But what we found out in our early testing was that the older kids really didn't interact with the machines uh, like the younger kids did, and it was the the PTA moms and the volunteers in the elementary schools that got really 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 excited about our program. So we ended up, um, you know, shifting our focus pretty early on to where much of what we do today is for the younger school or younger kids. But but the reality is, you know, I'll give you a great example. I was in uh, Grand Rapids, Michigan here not too long ago at a principal's event. And a, a principal came up. She and I were talking. I explained the program. She got all excited. I said, ma'am, if you don't mind my asking, what are you guys going to spend the money on? She said, lice kit. I said, come again? She said, lice kits, like head lice. She said, our district has so much money coming in right now for technology, but every last bit of it is earmarked for technology only. And in the process, there's a lot of other things, like in our school's case, lice kits that don't have a line item in the budget that we have got to have to provide for those kids when they're needed. And so that that just give you an idea of the value and, and oftentimes how granular some of the needs are in these schools that our program helps provide for. Yeah, so in other words, no transfer no transfer authority to cover the lice kits. That's just great. So uh they can have computers but they can scratch your heads while they uh while they type. That's just brilliant so i I can appreciate that there is a big 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 gap to be filled here uh in terms of uh in terms of being able to do these things and it's not i was using the example of booster clubs and paying for the milestone events of your secondary level education all that but there are so many other things that we need to raise money for that the people who make up the budgets don't often accommodate for like for instance Head lice are an issue. You don't want your you don't want kids in school getting lice. And if you find a kid that has lice, 
you want to kill those lice before you have 1,200 kids with lice and 4,800 family members with lice. You don't want that. Right. But they're not paying right. for it. And that's, that's part of where you come in. So what are some other ways that your model really helps to support the schools in terms of uh, either filling in gaps in their budget or making it a better experience for their students? Uh, well, a couple things. First off, you know, because the school spirit stickers are the foundation of what we do, um, we give a platform where the schools can really, you know, work towards promoting that school spirit and, and that type of thing, which is a really, really big deal in a lot of these schools. The second thing is our program for many of them works as a rewards platform as well. So not only is it a fundraiser, not only are we encouraging school spirit, but it's also an opportunity for parents and faculty and staff in the school to be on the lookout for kids that are doing good and to be able to reward them with something as simple as a sticker. And we've got countless schools out there in the thousands that we work with across the country that, that feel that way and um, and that use our program in that way. Um, and it ends up being, you know, a huge win for them. It's another opportunity for the parents in the school to encourage uh, good behavior. Um, and then once again, you know, the raising of the money as well. Yeah. Yeah. And, and to me that I think that's just, that's just fantastic. So, um, how does this provide freedom for families? Uh, I hope I didn't already answer the question by saying mom and dad or mom or, or dad or grandma or what have you don't have to go out and hustle candy bars. Uh, but what else is there that's helping our families? Well, um, when we talk about freedom for family, primarily in our, uh, in our mission statement, it's about freedom for our franchise families. And by creating a second tire of income, uh, they have options and additional security on down the road. Now, one of the other things or a couple of the other things that we are in the process of working into our program and have invested a lot of time and money into getting these things up and running is, number one, when I was growing up, I was inspired to read as a kid by reading comic books. And, you know, reading obviously is a skill that we all need to have if we really want to succeed in life. And um, there's a lot of kids that struggle with it or for whatever reason are not being encouraged to do so like they should. And for me, it was those comic books early on that helped me get in that reading habit that has created me as a, a lifelong reader today. So um, we started a comic book company three and a half years ago, and we are utilizing that in conjunction with our machines to encourage reading Um of content that is is wholesome and is values based, um, so mom and dads don't have to worry about what little Johnny or little Susie are reading, and know that they that they've got at least one company out there that has their back when it comes to content, and and wanting to be a protector of their kids um, instead of just sell as much stuff as they can. So much of the content out there has adult themes, et cetera, and it's harder and harder and harder, you know, to um, to draw that line for parents. So that's one thing that that uh, we have done. We've got 10 different comics we've released. We've got two children's novels 
that we've released um, under the wow. uh, um, the series called Marlin and Percy. There are a couple of apes that want to be superheroes, and it's all about them and and their their adventures and and everything. Um, we give some of those away in ebook form out of our machines with with some of the vens. Uh, and then, of course, they're available on Amazon or, or at MarlinAndPercy.com as well. And then on top of that, we just recently launched a site, and it's once again in the early phases, called Inspire a Kid. And it's a site where we uh, look out there and find either kids that are inspiring other kids or parents that are or adults that are inspiring kids. And a good friend of mine by the name of Scott Hooper tells their stories. And um, Inspire a Kid has become a part of, of the SSV universe in, in many of our schools. Um, in the next year or two, we'll have uh, all kinds of content, audio and video, on top of, um, you know, lesson plans and that type of thing. Once again, there's just a lot of kids out there that don't have any of that in their life. And my philosophy is if we plant enough good seeds in the world, good will come from them, even though oftentimes we will never see the harvest ourselves. And so both Marlon and Percy and Inspire a Kid are, are examples of the seeds that we're planting with the kids that are our customers, which, of course, impacts their families in a positive way as well. Wow. So in your model, you're not just simply – helping with fundraisers, you're really thinking about the future here because uh, our children are our future, and they're the best investment that we could ever possibly make in our country. And it's very important to me, and this is one of my passions. Um, I'm not a father yet myself, but you know, I think ahead to a day when I will be. And the thing that actually keeps me up at night even now is what information are my children going to get in school? What resources are going to be available to them? What messaging are they going to receive when I'm not there 24-7 to monitor what's going on and make sure that they're getting messages that are inspiring, that are helpful, that are nurturing, that are going to make them into great contributors to our society? And the fact that your organization has created this and is participating in this conversation about how we help our children become positive and contributing members of society is just huge. You know, it, it's fun being in a position where I can divert a bunch of my attention and resources to not just being successful but having significance. And this is what I see as part of my calling, you know, for this stage in my life is being able to do these kind of things um, to encourage just like I know I was encouraged as a kid. So, um, you know, it, it's kind of interesting because most people would never see our machines and think anything of anything other than, oh, that's a sticker machine or a machine it looks like the temporary tattoo machine down at the grocery store. But our program is so much more than that um, in the schools that we're in. And it's just exciting to be able to do that um, and to give back again and again and again in those ways. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I I knew there was more to this than this uh, than just simply um, simply these vending models. So uh, going into some of the schools and some of the places you need to do the fundraisers, do you find um, any challenges getting people wanting to adopt your model? 
Yeah, I mean, there's definitely, there's some schools here and there, some administrators or educators that in their mind don't see the tie between stickers and education. And some of them, you know, don't see the value or the good that our program can bring. All they see is the fact that it's going to upset the apple cart, you know, the the relative peace and calm at the beginning in their school by introducing something new like this into the school. Um, the one thing in that regard that I can tell folks is um, that after a, a couple of weeks, just like when we, you know, at home get a new computer or a new car or whatever, everybody's super, super excited about it for a period of time, and then it just becomes another computer or another car. Well, the same thing is true with our machine and the schools. And for those schools that have brought it on board and have, have you know, allowed us to direct them and give them guidance in all of this, um, you know, it's ended up being a win-win once again for everybody all around, and, it, and it's fun to be a part. Yeah, I, and and I think and I think that's absolutely think that's absolutely great. So uh, let's think about the the time commitment and uh, to get this up and running. Uh, what are people looking at in terms of what it's going to take for them uh, in time? And let's expand the question. You know, is there any investments? And maybe and I know you can't give exact numbers, but are we talking about something that's large or something that's easily leverageable in terms of getting this up and running for themselves? Um, time commitment is really up to the individual, Adam. To begin with, since I was working full-time as an ad executive when I started the company 10 years ago, um, I was able to do this a couple days a month. And I used some of my vacation time or got creative with my time in order to make it happen. And slowly but surely, over the span of a number of years, put this thing together to where Three and a half years later, I was able to walk away from my full-time career because that's what I wanted to do and do this, you know, exclusively. Um, but, you know, we've got husbands and wives that are doing this together, and when she's got some time off, she's doing some stuff, and when he's got some time off, he's doing some stuff. I've got others that have chosen to work this, you know, um, pretty much full-time, you know, like spouses that aren't working maybe they're at home and they end up uh you know doing this while their spouse is bringing home the bacon working full-time so there's a bunch right. of different options in that regard you know myself um when i finished mba school back in 2002 and i wanted to move forward with my career and with my life i had gone to an mba program and completed it with a concentration in human resource management with the idea that I would become a Fortune 100 training and development director. That was my passion, training and development. And the fact that, in a way, so it is. And the fact that I'm able to help business creators uh, using some of those same uh, principles of training and development today with my work is something that drives my brilliance and passion. So I did the usual stuff. I did the networking, the interviews. And uh, where I ended up getting my job offers where I ended up getting my job offers were from two small companies that, uh, that weren't even officially hiring, but they really liked the cut of my jib, not to mention my very large MBA portfolio, and decided to create a position just for me. Now, in one case, I took a good hard look at where that company was headed, and I noticed that the company was actually going down. 
they weren't telling me and their facade didn't show it. But when I did some digging, let's just say it didn't surprise me when I went back to check in on them two years later and found out that they had folded. And then there was another one that was actually pretty tantalizing. I almost accepted it. But then I said, you know what? What I really want is to be an entrepreneur. So my path was I ended up connecting with a business mentor of mine who at that stage in his life owned a training and development firm and did a variety of things for him on a contractor basis to help him with uh, with his clients and also with the development of a book that he published later that year. Uh, that being said, what I really latched on to is the idea of being able to develop a business while I still had a job. And that's one of the reasons that I wanted to bring you on here today is I wanted to show our business creators because we do have people who work nine to five or work full-time jobs or are already in one business that takes up a lot of their time and want to start another business because they want the, the multiple streams of income. And I want to show them this opportunity that uh, there are existing models out there that they can leverage and couple that with the fact that many of our business creators are in fact parents or have uh, somebody in their life who's doing fundraisers. This is a great way to do that. So uh, I'm going to ask a couple questions that may seem somewhat mundane, uh, and maybe they've already been partially answered, but I really want to bring this stuff to the surface so that people understand what they're getting into when they think about franchising. In order to do this, you know, some people may look at this model and say, well, isn't that sort of like a multi-level marketing thing? So how many relatives do you have available? They're going to buy your steak knives or your, uh, or your diet pills or your leggings or your skirts or what have you. Um, I don't think this is that. So first of all, what are the differences between what you're doing and the MLM model? Well, the MLM model is somebody telling somebody, telling somebody, telling somebody, telling somebody, and everybody right. in theory buying something and revenue is created that way. This this is a pure franchise, just like McDonald's is a franchise or, or any other company you can think of just about. Um, we deal directly with individuals. Um, you know, we set up a, a franchise. Um, we're established as a franchise and are an approved uh, registered franchise in all 50 states in the United States. So we have the ability to sell franchises and do business in all of them. And so, um, you know, aside from the fact that we don't have a restaurant location like a typical franchise, our locations are the schools where our franchisees set up our equipment. And um, so, you know, aside from the fact that we've got 110 people that are part of our team and multi-level teams, you know, have lots of people as a part um, that's really the only similarity, at, you know, as far as business is concerned. Right, right. And, uh, and you know, with uh, you know, taking this a little bit further, sometimes you get involved in these types of things, uh, you have to be one of those well-networked people if you're going to be able to get this off the ground. So in order to uh, follow your franchising model, do you actually have to know anybody? You know, it's funny you ask that, Adam. I knew nobody in the school space when I started this company. And the majority of our franchisees know nobody within the schools, aside from you know maybe a teacher or two at the school where their kids are, depending on their age. So most do not come from that world. Um, that's one of the values of a franchise is we teach you 
the ins and outs of that world. Um, you know, we teach you the language. We teach you, you know, through systems and processes how best to go into the schools within your geographic territory and work with them and serve them with our program. Um, so, yeah, I mean, is that a possibility to give somebody a leg up if they come from that world or are very well connected? Sure. But we've also found that in many cases, you know, people either get what we do or they don't at the school. And if we've got an administrator, like I said earlier, that just doesn't see the tie with what we do in their school, well, it doesn't matter what we say. We're not going to convince them. So because of that, um, you know, oftentimes even those connections don't necessarily mean anything because if your friend is a school principal and he doesn't think the concept makes sense, it doesn't, it doesn't matter. He's not going to be an advocate for you, nor is he going to, you know, allow you to bring our program into his school. Right. Yeah, that's, that's very, that's very true. So that in itself, I just wanted to get, you know, get down to that because somebody might, like, let's say somebody approached me with this opportunity to invest in what you're doing. And I might run it by some friends of mine or some mentors of mine. And they say, how many high school principals do you know? And I wanted to make sure we have the right answer to the fact that I don't know any high school principals. You know what my involvement with the school system is here in Las Vegas? Because as I said, I'm not a father yet myself. Is uh, My involvement with the schools is that's where I go to vote. That's it. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Well, that's similar to me. In fact, I'm actually a homeschool dad. So I'm even further removed than, than many folks because – because my kids haven't ever been in the public schools. Okay. That brings up an interesting point. I was going to get there, but let's do it now since we're segueing in. Uh, what can this do for homeschool parents? Because that is a, that is a growing thing. And, I, and you know, as I said, you know, when I toss and turn it, and I'm thinking about, you know, what are, you know, what is my children going to be experienced, my future children, when they come into the world, the conclusion I keep coming to is, I better have a successful business and room in my life because I'm really leaning towards homeschooling myself. So here's the thing. As a homeschooler, um, aside from the basics, reading, writing, and arithmetic, good citizenship, that type of thing, you know, every situation in life has the opportunity to be a learning experience. And life is the classroom, not just a room in a building somewhere. And so from the very beginning, our kids were actively involved in our business um, and have learned skill sets along the way that um, are going to, you know, be the foundation for much of what they do in their career. My two oldest are in college today. My oldest, Zane, is a junior at Hillsdale College in Hillsdale, Michigan. My second oldest, Sarah, is a sophomore at Liberty University in Lynchburg, Virginia. My third right. is a is a sophomore or is a junior in high school, and uh, we've got about a year and a half left with her before we're empty nesters. But as an example, when I started the company ten years ago, Zane was ten years old, and I, after having to pay a couple graphic designers for some basic design work, I realized how expensive graphic design was. And so I bought 
an iMac. I bought the Adobe Suite. A good buddy of mine was a trained uh, Hollywood commercial editor and graphic designer. And my son Zane traded two hours of work in his yard one Saturday for two hours of training on Photoshop and Illustrator. That was the foundation for his, his education in design. Now, 10 years later, he has literally done thousands of designs, um, jobs for hundreds of clients around the country. Um, his school, Hillsdale, noticed some of his work he was doing for some volunteer organizations around the school. And the head of uh, external affairs, essentially the marketing department for this, the school, called him up one day and called him into the office, said, hey, I've been noticing your work around the school. How did you learn how to do all that? And he proceeded to tell him the story of starting graphic design at 10 years old for his dad. They hired wow. him on the spot. Um, he had an internship last summer, and much of the marketing material that the university produces today, Zane is behind the, the foundational design um, and everything. Um, why? Wow. Because he grew up in an entrepreneurial family, and mom and dad gave him room to grow and learn um, something that he was passionate about, which was computers and design. His sister, Sarah, uh, at Liberty is the same way. Our youngest, Rebecca, she has always loved attending trade shows with her dad, and we work, we've worked hundreds of them over the last 10 years. And she initially would come to me when we got started. She was, you know, uh, 11, uh, no, five years old, five or six, and she'd just run around and get free stuff from all the vendors and, and all that. But over time, she took interest in what we were doing and wanted to come and actually work the table and start promoting what we do. The team here in Texas today, Adam, requests that she be there at the events that we do every year because she does a better job of relating to the adults because it is so rare to see a teenager that doesn't have a phone in their face um, that can carry on a, a an adult conversation to where she has an incredible close rate and loves doing it and is is following in you know her blessing and what the way she's wired um in re developing relationships and in sharing what we do with people etc you know communication no matter what technology holds for us in the future is always going to be the most valuable or one of the most valuable assets we have and by being a part of mom and dad's business she at 16 years old has done and accomplished some amazing things and has a confidence level and an experience level that most people twice her age don't have that's the power of creating an environment where you know families all together can build a business like ours and not only are mom and dad learning business but their kids are learning and having the ability to to develop their giftings as well that is incredible this is something we didn't even touch in the green room. I wasn't even expecting this. So you've got me on the edge of my seat here. Our, our listeners of the Business Creators Radio Show know that not only am I the host, but I'm also in the audience with them with my pad of paper and my two pens out taking notes, looking for the slight edge in my business and my life. But here's what I'm thinking about. Uh, when I was 
you know, growing up myself, uh, before, you know, when I was a kid, I had a little grass cutting business. There was only so much I could do with it because we lived in a very rural area and there just weren't a lot of houses around. Uh, the best I could do is about a mile and a half up the road, there was this little trailer park and there were a few people there that didn't want to cut their little patches of grass. So I'd push the mower up that road a mile and a half and I'd push it up that hill the extra half mile to get up to that uh, trailer park. And once a week, I'd do three or four yards. And I had my parents' yard, my grandparents' yard, my great-grandparents' yard, and uh, they were all pretty much in a row there. But that's the best I could do. Uh, but I really liked the idea of going out, turning a buck, having my own money to spend that was mine that I could do with whatever I wanted. When I turned 16, I couldn't wait to drive. Not because so much that, oh, I want to drive. Uh, but yeah, I, mean, I didn't want to drive. I wanted the freedom of not having to have my parents haul me around everywhere and having some flexibility to do stuff. Uh, but what I really wanted was to be able to transport myself to and from a job. So from the time I was 16 to the time I finished college five years later, I had a job in fast food working for one of the major franchises. Uh, was there five years, as I think I just said. And during that time, I tried a few other things to, to move beyond that. I tried to invest in the MLM company. I can't remember which one it is, but it's the one that uh, sells the steak knives. I can't remember which one it is. Uh, I tried uh, that, that, yeah, that's it. That's it. That, that's the one. Yeah. I, uh, uh, I tried to work for clean water action. I, I do believe in clean mm -hmm. water, but the idea of going to neighborhoods and knocking on doors, asking for $5. Uh, I have somebody I know who, actually made a career out of that and did very well with it. It wasn't for me. And there were a couple other things I tried, but I kept finding myself back to uh, working in fast food. And, and I liked it, actually. I liked the work. I liked the people that were there, and I thought it was a great store. So don't get me wrong. I had a lot of fun with it. And some of the lessons about business that I learned there are lessons that I still use and that I still teach. So it was not a, a useless experience. But – Looking back at this and looking back at myself, I think to myself, why did I just sit there for five years when in the back of my mind, and you saw, I, I kept reaching out here and there looking for other ways I could bring more money in, that there could be a model like what you're sharing for me. This is something that my family could have participated in because my parents uh, at that point in our lives, uh, you know, we had less than we could afford because as I found out later in life, uh, my parents uh, invested a lot of money in preparedness. You can make your own conclusions as to what that meant. And uh, there was actually more money than we knew was there, but they were so focused on the future and having the lifestyle they have now where they really just have nothing to worry about and they have plenty of money for the kids and the grandkids and everything else. Uh, but that would have worked for my entire family. It would have helped my parents raise more money for the future they were building for themselves and for the kids. And it would have helped me and maybe even my sister as well to have an income opportunity that otherwise we didn't even know existed. Yep. Yep. No doubt. Yeah. So, uh, so what, you know, what else are you doing in terms of your business model to help make families aware that this opportunity is available for them. I can, I can just imagine some of our business creators are thinking, yes, I would like to add this as a multiple stream of income. Yes, I would like to teach my children the value of entrepreneurship. 
You know, Adam, most of what I do is what I'm doing right now. I've spent a okay. lot of time over the last two and a half years talking with hosts like yourself to get the word out and get our story out because people either get it or they don't. They have interest or they don't. And and the power of audio today to where people can be listening to this show while they're mowing the lawn, while they're walking the dog, while they're driving yeah. to and from work or whatever is powerful. And um, unlike just having you know, Google AdWords and click-through ads or whatever that really give no backstory or don't have the ability to give a backstory to what we do, conversations like this put everything that we do in context. And so by the time everybody – is done hearing us talk, it either makes sense or it doesn't. If it does, of course, we give them an opportunity to reach out and have a an ebook that I've written that they're welcome to download for free. Um, but that is how I've done most of what I've done in the last two and a half years. And it's been amazing. Um, our company, as far as the, we started franchising two and a half years ago, before that we were a distributor model to begin with. Um, and realized that there was a bunch of states around the country that we really needed to be a franchise to do what we do. So we made that transition. But our team has grown um, about 140% in the last two years, um, and it's all because of conversations like you and I are having today and people hearing about something they never even thought of before, had never even heard of before, and saying, man, that is exactly what I've been looking for. Um, and then, of course, we begin a dialogue from there. Okay, everybody who's listening right now, if you're listening to this live, make sure to subscribe to iTunes so you can get the download as soon as the replay is available. If you're listening on iTunes or some other network right now, be sure to go back and listen to this one again because what Matt has just told you is beyond solid gold. It goes beyond the topic of what we're covering today, and it really gets to the heart of this larger issue of how we can build multiple streams of income, franchising uh, and these types of uh, vending franchises and building secondary income. This is great, and if you are looking to build a secondary income or you're one of our business creators listening right now who still needs to hold down their full-time job, as I said, I've been there where I had to hold down a job while I was building it up. Uh, to the point where I could jump off and become a full-time entrepreneur. Uh, you certainly can find time over the next two years to do some podcast interviews, to get on some internet radio shows, to do some webinars. Uh, Matt, have you really done a whole lot in ad spend? Uh, I'm getting a sense you haven't really done a whole lot of uh, investing in ad networks or those types of things. Uh, I Literally, aside, well, let me put it this way, Adam. For a long time, I reached out to shows like yours. Today, I have a service that I work with that I do pay for yeah. that. Um, yep, they're but, good people. But it's, yeah, and, and Interview Valet does an amazing job. That yeah, said, good. Uh, otherwise, no, I don't. I don't. I haven't spent money on AdWords. I haven't spent money on anything else in the last two and a half years, except for conversations like this. And um, has it taken a lot of work? Yes. Um, but when you think about the impact that one has the ability to have, 
um, it has been off the charts worth it and um, will be a model that I will follow for years to come with this or with any other thing that I'm doing. Um, it just makes too much sense in today's day and age, as busy as we all are, and especially if you don't need to key in in a very, very specific geographic area, what better way to get the word out and share a story um, that people can relate to? Yeah. Yeah. So just, uh, you know, if you find yourself in a situation thinking, ah, this whole thing of podcasting, this whole thing of going out and getting interviewed is not for me. And, um, and you know, you may be looking at something like, well, why would I be on the business creators radio show? I'm not, I'm not tooting my own horn here. I'm just saying, uh, you know, I'm in the vending industry. I should only be on vending podcasts. I shouldn't go on the business creators radio show or the dream business radio show or the, um, or the, uh, or the inspired women radio show. I know there's one out there. In fact, I know a lot of great women entrepreneurs who do podcasts that are geared towards women. And if you're a man like Matt Miller and you have a vending franchise and you, then you turn your nose up at that because, well, I do vending franchises and that's, that's, you're silly not to do this because look what we've done here in the past 50 minutes. We have not only shown you a new opportunity to build secondary income for your business and your lifestyle, we've shown you how to do fundraisers for your kids, and we've basically shown you how to teach your kids incredible life lessons that will serve them well in life and make them positive contributors to society who will do you proud. Uh, Tell me where else you're going to find something like that. I'm not aware of it. <laughs> exactly. 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 That was kind of a that was kind of a rhetorical question, but let's just answer it. So, um, okay. So, you know, we well, we have about ten minutes left here, and we're actually kind of near the end of our content, uh, which is perfectly fine. Uh, and maybe we get out of class five minutes early. Who knows? Uh, and if we do, you know what? Back when we, you know we work back on the school theme. You know what? Every once in a while, you like to get out of class five minutes early. Just like if you have a meeting and you get the meeting done at ten minutes before the top of the hour. Cool, I can take a break. So, Matt, you have all the time you need. If one of our listeners is interested in doing this, where's the next step they should take? Well, let me let me just cover this real quick, Adam, just because you, you kind of touched on it a while back, and I and I forgot to answer it. Um, to give folks an idea, because everybody, the first question they have is, okay, what does it cost to get started in this thing? Um, to give right. folks an idea, the average franchise in America today costs about one hundred and fifty thousand dollars. Um, that's 150,000 reasons why I did not start a traditional franchise. Um, we are not even remotely close to that. Um, our goal is to make this as, as accessible to as many people as we can. Um, it ends up being right around $20,000 for somebody to get started with our program, and a good portion of that is equipment for their first schools, product for their first schools, Etc. You know the franchise fee is only about half of that, so it's very, very, very inexpensive um, in the, in the scheme of franchises. And once again, it gives people an opportunity to start a business. Many want to, but they don't know how. With a proven business model, to give folks an idea, we've raised nearly five million dollars for education in the last ten years doing what we do. Um, a lot of stickers being sold to a lot of kids during that period of time. And, um, 
you know, to put something together on the side on a limited time commitment without having to sacrifice a career for me was the only option I had. And I know for a lot of professionals out there, it's the same, same, same situation. Right. Yeah. So, so where do they go to get started? I mean, do they fill out an application? Do they have to speak with you? Uh, what's the step? Yeah, so we have an interview process that typically lasts four to eight weeks, depending on the person. Okay. Um, we do it all over video conference so that we have a chance to look each other in the eye and answer right. questions and, and slowly go through our program and how it all works. Um, a part of that process um, is called what's called the Franchise Disclosure Document, or FDD, which is a government-sanctioned document that every franchise is required to have their own version of. Um, it covers every last detail about the franchise, how it works, costs, all that kind of stuff, the goal being that no one ends up being surprised along the way um, should you know, we decide to do business together. Um, also, along the way, a little later in the process, they have an opportunity to reach out to any of the franchisees on the team, pick their brains, find out, you know, all about what we do from their perspective, um, find out, you know, revenue numbers and averages and all those kind of things as well. And assuming that, you know, we get to the end of that point, then uh, we talk about, you know, protected territory and where that would be and and that type of thing, and get folks up and running. Um, every territory is approximately 200 schools in size. Uh, nobody else within our team can play in that territory, so people can have confidence that, that the schools that they're talking to and working with you know, are not going to be talked to by somebody else on our team. Um, and like I said, we've got 106. Uh, we've got three new franchisees getting started early next week, so we'll be at 109 franchisees in about 40 states and uh, still have a lot of work to do in order to serve the schools around the country that are out there. Right. So uh, you actually answered my final question before I had a chance to ask it is whether there's territorial exclusivity, because one of the challenges that we come up with, uh, with, with some of this stuff, and this is why I mentioned uh, some of the challenges with the multi-level marketing model, which don't get me wrong, it's a great model. We have listeners, and we've even had guests on the Business Creators Radio Show who are involved in multi-level marketing. That is a fully legitimate business, and it does give you the opportunity to be very successful with it when you use a proven system that's handed to you and you add your own brilliance and passion to it. So don't take anything that I'm saying as anything other than that. But one of the challenges we sometimes run into with the multi-level marketing is by the time you get around to that person uh, that's on your list of people you want to ask, it turns out that you're about the 13th person that's shown up on your doorstep with that same toolkit or invited them to the, basically that same party or whatever it is. Uh, and it kind of goes back to the same thing as the, uh, the old school, <laughs> for lack of a better word, uh, form of school fundraising is how many Mars bars do you need? Right. Yeah. Whereas what you do is something completely different. I, I just want to remind our listeners one more time of the work that you're doing in terms of creating materials to educate our children and help them become productive and contributing mem members of society, which I think is something that most of us, I agree, uh, recognize as being very important and valuable for our society as a whole. So, uh, Matt Miller, uh, yeah. let's just make sure that people have your website. 
I believe it's SSV, as in Samuel, Samuel Victor, business.com, SSVbusiness.com. Uh, is there anything else Correct, you wanted Adam. to uh, share with us? Uh, actually, I think that um, there's a specific page you have for us, which is SSVbusiness.com forward slash BCR. So tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, so that's a landing page we've set up for your audience so that if folks want to download that ebook, Live Your Dreams, The Ten Reasons Why You Need to Own a Vending Business, they can go there and download that for free and uh, get some insights from a guy who's been in the industry for 13 years. Um, most people don't see vending as a real business. I beg to differ. And I talk through some of the things that most pro people have probably never even thought of, though they pass by vending machines every single day of their life. Um, for yeah. those that are just interested in maybe traditional vending, I also recently published a course online. It's called Vending Secrets to Passive Income, and that can be found at vendingsecrets.net. Um, it you know, encapsulates my years of experience in the industry. It's got some unique content that you can't find elsewhere, and um, you know, for 97 bucks is a very, very quick shortcut to success you know, in vending. Um, with me having made a lot of the mistakes so that you don't have to. Um, the only other thing I would say, Adam, is just this. Man, if you've been thinking about start a business of any kind, jump in, get started, stop trying to figure it all out. That's just an excuse um, for you're not being willing to overcome your fear. Jump in, overcome your fear, realize the model that you ultimately come up with is going to be very different than what you think it is now. And the only way you're going to figure that out is if you jump in and, and if you get in the game instead of thinking about getting in the game. Wow. Okay, so once again, let's send our listeners to ssvbusiness.com forward slash BCR. And give our thanks to Matt Miller for taking the time to spend with us today. It's been an honor and an education. And to me, it's been very inspirational. Adam, thanks for having me on, man, and God bless you. All right. Uh, for everybody listening, this is Adam Homey, host of the Business Creators Radio Show. Please check out our recent and our upcoming episodes, including this one, at www.businesscreatorsradioshow.com, where we help you win at the game of business and marketing. Until next time, have a great day. Take care.